So you know it's possible to reveal very clearly with your life that you are far from God, right? Some people are far from God and it is obvious. But some people are far from God and it is not obvious. You with me? Some people are far from God and it is obvious. Let me read you just a little scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a, don't you know that? If you live a godless life, you are not in the kingdom of God? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Well, that's interesting. Don't be deceived. In other words, there is going to be false teaching that says you can live however you choose and it's fine because grace will, quote, cover it. That's cheap grace. That's not God's grace. God's grace is here to help us to change, that we can change. The good news for the world is that we don't have to live how we've been living. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idol worshipers, nor those who commit adultery, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, those who steal, nor the greedy, the greedy, nor those who get drunk, nor those who revile, scorn, mock others, nor those who cheat others, swindlers, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be lied to. Don't be deceived. And don't fool yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Don't trick yourself. Don't lie to yourself. If these behaviors are in your life, they make it obvious that you have yet to enter the kingdom of heaven. But there are also behaviors that are not obvious. There are also those whose sin is not clear. There are those who are far from God and it's Hidden. I should finish at least reading this little chunk. And such some of you were. Some of you were. Was I. Dude, I was a bunch of those, right? Were you. But that's why Jesus came. He came to, he came to love on sinners. He came to free sinners. He came to give grace to sinners. That's what some of you were, but you were washed. So he cleansed all the stain away. He cleansed all the shame away. You were sanctified, which is he, he, he made you now belong and devoted to him instead, exclusively. You were justified, which means he made it just as if you'd never sinned, as if you'd always obeyed God. So he washed away the shame. He devoted you to himself exclusively. And he made it as though you'd never sinned at all. So that is all the favor of God as though you obeyed perfectly is yours because you're in Jesus. And he did it all, it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so there, there's behaviors that make it obvious that people are far from God. But there are also those who are far from God and it's not obvious. You can hide pride. You can actually hide some of that greed. You can, you can hide uh, works righteousness. 
where you're trying your hardest to do what you know God wants you to do, but you are doing it in your own strength and you are living in such a way that your thought about who you are is what you're living for rather than relationship with God, right? So Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So they look, it looks right. It looks good. It looks like God's, in, it looks like it's about God. Your, your lips are near, your hearts are far. So again, there's some people, they're far from God and it's obvious, but there's other people, they're far from God and it's hidden. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far. So this is a part three of our little series on disciples, Jesus 101 or discipleship. Jesus 101, my life is not my own. Why is that not on the screen? It's the sermon title. My life is not my own. It's even on the bulletin. It's the same branding for the bulletin. Like worked super hard on trying to get the branding to, to be figured out. Give me a better software than Canva. I'm back to using Adobe Spark. Sorry, I'm off point, off point here. Part three, part three is my life's not my own. <clears throat> if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, but you think you're going to follow Jesus, give, give him just enough to get to heaven, but you're going to keep control of your life because you don't actually trust him, it'll never work. No. No. The whole point of being a disciple is that me keeping control of my life means self is still on the throne of my heart, which is what he came to free us from. It's what he came to free us from is, is, my, is myself, self-serving, self-centered, me, me, me. I know what, how, I, how I'm going to be happy. I know how I need to live. So whenever I disagree with, with God, this is why, by the way, this is just a parenting aside. This is why it is so important for parents to have authority over your kids so that you're not just their little buddy who gives them whatever they want, but they learn how. They learn how to submit to something they don't agree with and they don't like so that when they grow up, they know how to submit to Jesus so they don't ruin their life thinking, well, I know better what I need than he does. I disagree with Jesus, so I'm going to do what I want, and it's his job to love me anyway because that's how it works in all my other relationships. I just manipulate and yell and get angry and do whatever I want, and they eventually cave in. And that's how Jesus is going to be too, and that because he's gracious. I can just do what I want because God's gracious. He'll sort it out. He'll figure it out. It's his job to forgive me. It's his job to deal with me. You see what I'm saying? It's so critically important, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, to make a clean break with me as the center of my life, me in ownership of my life. Okay, so Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far. They worship me in vain. That's an interesting thing, right? They worship me in vain. Lots of singing, lots of gathering, lots of offering, lots of religious activity, and God says, useless. Unless it leads to a heart in union with Jesus, it's useless. Unless it leads to us encountering the living God, it's useless. Unless it has to do with, if what we do here doesn't translate to when you leave here, you get up every day and seek his face, useless. If you get healed in here, 
If you come up to the front and we pray for you and God heals you, and then you don't leave this place and seek him from the heart in secret with nobody watching and wake up and surrender to him every day, useless, in vain, in vain. Emotional, get emotional during a sermon. Say, yeah, that's amazing, I agree, I agree, that's awesome. Who cares? Irrelevant, useless. If it doesn't translate to in daily life, you seeking his face, getting with God, heart close with God, from the heart, deepest part of you, connecting with the deepest part of him, it's in vain. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. Lips. Lord, Lord, Lord. Matthew 7, 21. Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day. Many, many. So you've heard me get harsh in here, or maybe not harsh, maybe the word is like, I say scary things. When uh, Glenn was here, I think I said most Christians go to hell. This is what I'm referring to. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? We did the stuff, God, but we did the stuff. We did the stuff. Many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many? And by the way, I've heard people say, well, that's why you should never trust Christians that move in the spiritual gifts. If you prophesy and, and heal in his name and cast out demons... That makes you more likely to be a false prophet. But that's the opposite of the point Jesus is making. The point he's making is that all disciples do these things. All disciples cast out demons in his name. All disciples pray for the sick in his name and heal them. All disciples can speak on his behalf because they walk in closeness with him and then destroy the pulpit with their hook and their, their belt. Did you know there was Windex in here? You do now. Now it's not. All disciples do those things. So this point is not, oh my word, if, you do, if they prophesy in his name and they, they have lots of power and you know they're a huckster. No, that's not his point at all. He's saying they're doing the things disciples do, but not all the way from the heart. Not all the way from the heart. Not out of union with Jesus. Not out of close relationship with the Father. Close relation. He wants my heart. Amen. Can you say that with me? He wants my heart. Let me, I'll give you a little more heads up. One, two, three. He wants my heart. Every day, all the time, he wants you real bad. He actually, he actually loves us. He actually designed us to walk super close with him. He designed us to experience him. Your heart was designed to receive his love. I know it's hard for some of us to, to receive God's love. But your heart was actually designed to receive God's love. I know it's easier to turn to the other quick fix things, the coping mechanisms, the, the, little, the little hit from Facebook likes, Twitter likes. I don't know what y'all are using right now. Kids are over here, what do you use? Instagram. I know that's easier. That's faster. You're like messaging people, constant entertainment, constant distraction. I know that gets a little brain thing. But your heart was made for divine encounter. You were made to receive the Father's love. And that love is meant to be so satisfying, so satisfying that you have peace in life, that you can sleep at night, that you can handle things. By the way, please, please, if you catch yourself saying something like, I can't handle this, 
Close your mouth. Amen. Don't say that. It's a lie. You're prophesying death over yourself. Don't lie to yourself by saying, I can't, I can't, I can't take it. I can't handle this. Stop. Don't. Just shut your mouth. Say something better. Say, I can. You can say, I can. I was going to start weaker than that, but that's like strong. I was going to start weaker. I was going to say, God, help me right now. Jesus, help me. Boy, you went like, you went like bold. She went to the like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right away. That's intense. Well, skip to her thing then. Don't do what I said. But, but don't prophesy death over yourself. Don't, don't. Don't say you can't handle things Jesus designed you to flourish in. Don't, don't. He's in you. You've forgotten who's in you. Now, it might be that you choose to rearrange your schedule so that you say, I choose not to be in this mess right now. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Instead of walking into a mess that you, that you created by arranging your life with some people who are crazy, right. you know, you, you know, no boundaries, walk into some insanity. It's gonna, insanity's gonna get on you if you, there's just a lot there. But don't prophesy death over yourself. Don't say, I can't. I can't handle this. Careful with your mouth. Be very careful with your mouth. Your mouth affects the atmosphere around you. Okay, so Jesus wants our heart. He wants to encounter us constantly from the depths. It's not that he's like, I hate your songs. No, he hates when our songs are disconnected from a heart that's genuinely singing those things, that's genuinely living in those realities. Because there's a couple of times in the Old Testament where like in Amos and in Isaiah, where God says, shut off the music, I hate it. And it has nothing to do with we were singing off key. It has to do with we were living off key. We were living off key. We were abusing the poor, coming to church and singing loud. We were accusing each other and complaining against each other and grumbling against each other all week long. But then we want to say, he's good. He's good. And these guys stink. Oh, see, I changed my language. These guys stink. Oh, but he's amazing. Ah, ah. And he goes, oh, my word, I don't want to hear it from you. Until you know how to praise each other, I don't want you to praise me. Amen. I don't want you to. You go, well, you're not supposed to praise people. And I don't mean worship. I mean encourage and affirm. Until we learn how to rebuke each other in love with gentleness, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear these songs. It's just so important to God that the things we do for him publicly come from a genuine heart intimacy in secret where he sees, where only he sees. And this, by the way, is so important. This is so important that I'm putting it as like right at the beginning of a, of a chat on discipleship. Sacrifice, Psalm 40. <clears throat> Psalm 40, I love Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. Do you know this song? Nobody in here is a big fan of the band U2. All of you are getting a spanking later from me. <laughs> he brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing. It's just G and C. G. I will sing G, sing a new song. C. I will G, sing a new song. That's like the whole song, two chords. So if you're learning guitar, go back to 
the band U2, and, and the year is like 1980. I'm so off point. Get on point. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, anyways, Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Wait, what are you talking about, David? You commanded sacrifices and offerings, God. What do you mean sacrifice and offering you did not desire? God, who set up the Old Testament sacrificial system? Was it us or God? That was God. Did, if you were Jewish, weren't you commanded? You were commanded. You were required. And here, here comes David, and he says, sacrifice and offering, that's not what you wanted. Sacrifice and offering, not what you wanted, but my ears you've opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And I go, what book are you reading? Then I said, here I am. I've come, it's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. Oh, so David has insight. David has understanding. He, un he can see. There was an outward temple, but it wasn't about the outward temple. The temple was a symbol of the real temple. There were sacrifices and offerings, but those weren't the point. Those pointed to something greater. He gets it. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the sacrifice and offering he desires is our heart, our will, our want, our relationship. Oh, the oil's fallen out. Was that, did you guys see that over here? Did you notice that? That's the anointing oil to pray for people. Should I just talk to you? That'd be hilarious. That'd be great. Should I sit down in the pew and just talk? So God requires sacrifices, but that's not what he's really about. David gets it. Sacrifices and offerings, that's not what you want. Here's what you want. You want my heart. You want my will. You want to walk with me. You want to know me. Here's the real temple. Here's the real altar. And the real offering are my yeses. Okay. This is the real temple. Back to 1 Corinthians 6, where we started. Verse 18. This is interesting because Paul's about to make an application of a, of a general truth, but he'll make a specific application, but he could have made a thousand applications. Here's what he says. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that a, that a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know? There he is again with don't you know. Don't you guys know? Don't you understand? Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, so again, there's a general theological truth here. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. How did you get that way? You were set apart when you were sprinkled with blood. That's how they made things holy in the Old Testament. 
If something was being devoted to the Lord, it would be brought to the temple, it would be sprinkled with blood, and then from then on, you could never use it for any other purpose other than God's worship. It was, sac- it was sanctified, meaning it was set apart exclusively for God. Paul says, when Jesus shed his blood because he loves you, he did it because he loves you, when he shed his blood because he loves you, and then you said your yes, you stepped into that, and that blood cleansed you, and now you have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought at a high, 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 high price. And in terms of sexual sin, why would you sell cheap what he paid a high price for? If you don't know your value, turning to being desired sexually is one of the most tempting, natural human things to do. Since I don't know who I am, maybe if you desire me, then I'll find myself in your love. It's one of the most tempting things. It's one of the most natural things ever. Why do we turn to sexual sin instead of healthy sexuality? Because the desire to be wanted is so deep. We want to be wanted. Okay? So, don't, but Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know, first off, who you are? Don't you know who you are? And then secondly, don't you know whose you are? Don't you know who you are? And don't you know whose you are? And don't you know your value? You clearly don't know what, what you've become, who you are and whose you are. So there's the general truth, right? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are bought at a high price. With this conclusion, I don't own my life. It's been bought and paid for. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to walk close and intimate with Jesus from the heart. You with me so far? It's to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So my value has now been affirmed and I've transferred ownership to God. I said yes to his love and now I've stepped into Jesus and he has sent his spirit to fill this temple. So that because Christianity, by the way, we know this, right? We obey Jesus, right? We follow Jesus' teachings. But we don't do it on our own strength. We do it by the indwelling power of the Jesus who is here with us. It's not copying Jesus without Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. If you don't have an indwelling Lord, you don't have Christianity. We are temples in which God dwells. God by his spirit dwells. So here's my definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone in whom Jesus dwells. I don't care what denomination you are. You could be Roman Catholic. You could be Greek Orthodox. You could be Pentecostal. You could be Baptist. You could be Presbyterian. You could go to a house church. You could be some rando who just watched a video, said a prayer, and now you don't even have a church yet, but you're finding things that somehow resonate with the spirit of Jesus. And by the way, if you keep listening to him, he'll connect you with some meaningful body of believers because it is always his intention to unite us with the body of Christ. But it doesn't have to look the way it looks for me. It can look different. But anyone, anywhere in whom Jesus dwells is my family. Anyone, anywhere in the world or human history in whom the spirit of Jesus dwells is your brother or sister. We are one church, even though we don't think we are half the time, and we get on each other's nerves. 
Do you know what I mean? Because everybody likes the idea of love one another, but when you have to love somebody who has bad breath and treats you a different way than you want to be treated and just, just choose their food wrong, and just, you know, you walk into the room and they're already offended and I say, what did I do? Just the way you breathe. Go to a different room. Stop breathing that way. What do you mean? Like my Garrison Keeler nose hair breathe? Yes, babe. It's your Garrison Keeler. Just don't. So I'm in trouble for breathing now? Yes. Well, love me because I'm the body of Christ. Deal with me. Anyone anywhere in whom Jesus dwells is your brother or sister. Because that's, that's what Christianity is. It's not those who go to church. It's those who live in Christ. Amen. And by the way, please go to church. You know, my friend Adam the other day, he said, you can shipwreck your faith. You can wander away from the faith. You can lose your faith. And how do you do it? Well, one really fast way to do it, don't belong to a church. He said, you're not going to catch me failing on my faith. You're not going to catch me wandering away from the faith. You're not going to catch me drifting away from the faith. Because when church is open, I, if church is a ship like Noah's Ark, he says, I'm laying down on the deck in the middle. I'm not near the edge. I'm not looking over. I'm not looking at the dolphins going, look at that. He says, nah, -uh. I'm face down in the middle of the boat. Anyway, I just think Adam's funny. So, do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God. Now, this has like a thousand applications. A thousand applications. This is how I pray in the morning, by the way, when I pray. I thank God. What, this is some of the stuff that, that Adam taught us, right? What do you own? What do you own? No, it's not your house. It's, it's, God, it's a steward. It's God owns the house. God owns my wife. God owns my kids. God owns my clothes. God owns my friends. God owns this church. God owns everything that I have to do with. I'm stewarding it. And I'm going to give an account to Jesus for how I treated it, how I treated his daughter, how I treated his kids, how I treated y'all. I'm going to give it. I don't, what do I own? I own half of a relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing I own. That's the only thing I own is half of a relationship with Jesus. He owns the other half. That's my only concern. That's the only thing that matters. I own half of a relationship. And today, what am I? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I say, Jesus, please today, please today let me live as a temple of the Holy Spirit so that I'm cooperating with you, so that your spirit is, is inflamed, that I do the things that, that, that cause the spirit in me to flame up. Because here's the next verse. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to stand and give an account to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, No one can lay any other foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. The day with a capital D. The day. All right, so there's a day coming called the day. How important must the day be if you don't even have to name it? The day. And in Paul's understanding, when he proclaims the gospel, here's what he says. A day is coming. Paul says, here's what I've been sent out into the world to talk, to tell everyone. Hey, guys. Jesus was sent to save you. And you need to turn to him quick. Right now. 
because your culture is lost and it will lie to you. And if you live according to the, the stream, the flow of the stream of the culture you're in, you will perish for eternity. So quick, come to your senses, turn over your life to Jesus, walk with him because a day is coming when you're going to stand before Jesus and the truth about your life will be revealed. Okay, so here's what he says. The day, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed as though through fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If what you've done with Jesus in daily life was genuinely him, genuinely for him, then the flames don't even hurt it. They just reveal it more clearly. But if it's, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Well, this is interesting because he's talking about your work building up others. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but will be saved as though one only escaping through the flames. Will there be anything left, in other words? Nothing left but you standing with nothing. So in my morning prayers, what I pray, God, let me be a temple of the Holy Spirit today. I want to do your will. I want to walk with you meaningfully today. I want to walk with you today so that, so that some, something we do together today in relationship stands on that day. God, let something I do this day be shown on that day Amen. to have been authentically yours. Not something I did in your name, but was actually for my own glory, but was really done from heart that says, yes, I want to love you. I want to love you as you come to me disguised in the humans in front of me. And by the way, that's my plug for clothing connection. Is Jesus in Matthew 25 says, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Because they say, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked and clothe you or sick and in prison and visit you? When? When? We don't remember that. And he says, I came to you in disguise. I was in disguise in the people who could do nothing for you at all. Helping them wouldn't boost your ego, wouldn't boost your church numbers, wouldn't make your friends think more of you. Helping them did nothing for you. It couldn't do a thing for you. And it revealed whether you love me. So today, God, right? Thank you, God. I'm owed hell and I'm never going. I don't, I'm not owed heaven and I am going. I'm not owed all this love you've poured out on me, but you've, you've put it on me, so I'm going to receive it today. What am I owed? very different than what I'm getting. So hallelujah, the big picture is I'm never dying. I'm never dying. I'm living forever in glory. What do I own? Nothing. Everything's a stewardship. Everything's a stewardship, except for half of a relationship with Jesus is all I own. What do I need? I need the grace of Jesus today. That's all I need. That's all I need. And I need to stop saying I can't and, and I won't and realize that most of the time when we say I can't, what we're really saying is I won't. What we need to be saying is teach me, help me, teach me. Yes, help me, 
Teach me, help me. What do I need to do to be positioned to do your will? What do I need? I need to do God's will. That's all I need. What do I need? I need the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I need. I don't need my neighbor to change. I need to figure out how I'm going to manifest Jesus in this situation. Now, I might, I might, I might be praying for him to leave. If he has loud, noisy dogs, it's like, okay, new house. Barking dogs. Barking dogs. Straight cats squatting in my crawl space. This is a real story. This is still going on. I'm Googling stuff, trying to figure it out. Little, I need little mini guillotines that, whoop, did I say that in public? I shouldn't have said that. My bad. I love, I love my cats. They, 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 there, that's not in the mic. It's horrible. It is. It's the gang of Cooligan cats that intimidated Pete. They intimidated him. He's like, that one cat has one eye, and it's, it's not. It's, it looks like it's going to beat me up. What do, I, what do I need? I need the fruit of the Spirit. What do I want? See, I'm allowed to ask for what I want. It's just a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer agenda, isn't it? What do I, what am I owed? What do I own? What do I need? What do I want? But put your wants last. Put your wants last. You know what I want? I want a Ferrari. That's not very necessary. I want to be able to fly. Here's the deal, though. If we live this way, if we live, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to do God's will. It's, it's written about you in the scroll, by the way. Sacrifices and offerings, God, that's not what you want today. You don't just want outward. You want inward. You want heart. You want intimacy. You want closeness with me. That's what you want, God, today. If we live this way, guess what we'll see that no one else can see? Yeah, glory forever. But what about now, too? We'll see God's glory now. John chapter 2. This is where we're going to end. John chapter 2. What time is it, by the way? Oh, it's right about time. John chapter 2. The first miracle Jesus does, and it says, He revealed His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. You know what His first miracle was? He turned the water into wine. Do you remember the story? Jesus is invited to a wedding party. And... They ran out of wine, so Mary, his mom, says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And he says, why is that my problem? <laughs> what I love about that is he says, hey, that's not my problem. But then she ignores that, and this is what she says in John chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Mary turns to the servants... And do you remember what she said? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So simple. And then it says they took the big, the big uh, containers, filled them with water, with water. 
and they took him to the tables. And I don't know when it happened, but somewhere in between there and here, they became wine. When, when did it happen? I don't know, but I, I bet it's not until they took the risk. And then it says, the people drank the wine and they said, oh my word, this is the best wine yet. Most people put the crappy wine at the end when people are a little bit, no. But you've saved the best for last. And then it says this, second, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, verse 9, when the master... When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine, he did not realize where it had come from. But the servants knew. The servants knew. Listen, if we live this way, if we live this way, we will see the glory of God. The people around us, they'll just see a good party. They'll just see a nice person. They'll just see, hey, these people, are lo- these people love each other. Hey, that was, it felt really good to be included. They'll just see that. But the servants will see the glory of God. Amen. The ones who just do whatever Jesus tells us. Man, sign me up. Can I be in this category? Those who, so can we just do that right now? Can we just pray? So I would like you to pray this with me. Pray and surrender your will to say, Lord, you are my heart. Talk to him about that. Give him your heart. Invite him to dwell in your body as a temple with you, where you are. Closeness. Now talk to him about the day. Ask him that this day, today, that you and him together would be able to do some things that will stand after the fire on that day, on the judgment day. Now talk to him about this thing of the servants knew. Tell him, you want to see his glory. You want to be the hands and feet. You want to be the ones who carry the water that becomes wine. You want to be the ones who carry the the bread that multiplies. You want to be the one that extends a hand of comfort to someone hurting. And it actually becomes God's power flowing through you.
You want to be the one that shows up and speaks the words that he is telling you to speak. You want to see the glory of God.